Welcome to episode 104 of Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church for Christ Church. My name is John Payne. I'm the senior minister at Christ Church Presbyterian, and I'm here with my two dear brothers and co-hosts, Reverend Michael Bauer, who's the assistant pastor at Christ Church Presbyterian, and also Dr. Gabriel Williams, who's a longtime member of Christ Church, has been a co-host of this podcast uh, since it began uh, five or six years ago, and also uh, serves as a professor at the College of Charleston. Great to be with you guys today. It's good to be in here. Good to be with you. Today we're going to talk about uh, somewhat of a controversial topic, uh, critical race theory. In Luther's day, the church was under a kind of Babylonian captivity, the Babylonian captivity of Rome. It was buried under a mountain of man-made superstition, moral corruption, and unbiblical tradition. In our day, however, large sways of the evangelical church are under a cultural captivity, increasingly conformed to the world's shifting values and placing self and popular sentiment over and against the authority of God's Word. More and more preachers, congregations, and denominations are bowing the knee to the culture's dogma du jour. The church is unwittingly believing Satan's old lie, did God really say? Mm -hmm. Critical theory, identity politics, and social justice have overwhelmed our pulpits and lecterns. Uh, we're seeing it creep in uh, to the PCA. What are we to do? Well, in many ways it's simple, but it's that which we're going to unpack in these next two episodes. We need to return to the old paths of Christian worship, preaching, mission, ministry, and discipleship. Amen. That which we see so clearly modeled in the book of Acts. We need to pray that God would raise up a new generation of courageous preachers who care more about the truth and the glory of God than the approving nod of the world. We need humble preachers who love and herald the scriptures and aren't embarrassed by them. The faithful preaching of Christ from the whole counsel of God is the only true hope for the world. Amen. Now, as we approach this subject, we are thinking of it in terms of uh, a, a real disparity between uh, what the world is saying is the solution and is our hope and what uh, the scriptures say is the, 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 the problem and the solution and, uh, and the hope for the future. Uh, there's a narrative that the world is giving to us uh, about the way things are as it concerns race, as it concerns our history, and when we think about our own nation and the world. Um, and then there is a narrative that is clearly communicated in Scripture. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I've heard it said before that uh, critical race theory is a kind of religion. It has its own dogma. Now, a lot of times it's like j trying to nail jello to the wall when you're <laughs> trying to come up with uh, definitions. We want to do some of that together on this episode uh, to help our listeners understand more what critical race theory is. We hear this talked about so much today on the internet, uh, through various blog posts or on uh, news uh, uh, you know, dialogue on the news. Uh, we hear it on podcasts. We see it in books. Um, but because it really is kind of modern, applied postmodernism, uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it becomes that which is difficult to define. But I think we can give some general definitions uh, and and some kind of subcategories, some words that are being thrown around, which probably all of them were invented in the past 10 years. <laughs> so it's hard to keep up with the uh, growing vocabulary associated with uh, all of these new terms and ideas and concepts that are very much are a part of uh, a pagan culture. Um, but guys, let's talk about critical race theory. How, first of all, could we define critical race theory in a, in a general, general way and in a, in, a, in a way that clearly and fairly communicates some of these ideas? Probably the the best way to think about critical race theory is to contrast it with other critiques of race that have happened in American history. So I'll take an example, the most common one, which is the civil rights movement. So from the 1940s to the 60s, when we thought about the civil rights movement, we were thinking about racism both in terms of its institutional sense meaning you actually had specific laws throughout the South regarding the separation of blacks and whites. We had specific laws that uh, required discrimination. And much of what the 1940s to the 60s discussed in terms of a critique was the fact that it is clear that these laws exist because there is hostility or at least an animus towards black people. And the idea was that this was meant to, as the famous phrase, keep things separate but equal. And we know what that meant Mm. at the time. And so what the civil rights movement attempted to do was to use the arguments within, you can say, Western tradition, within American tradition, to argue against the mistreatment of blacks. So that's why Martin Luther King, as much as you can say about his own theological trajectory, If you read a letter to Birmingham jail, he's quoting Thomas Aquinas, for Mm. instance. He's quoting Christian tradition. He's quoting Thomas Jefferson. He's quoting a number of things within that canon. And hence, the idea was an incremental sense of fixing the problems of society using the actual um, phrases from our society, using the actual foundation that we have. Critical race theory is fundamentally different, and it's about which is why you don't hear critical race theorists quoting yeah. Martin Luther King Jr. very much. Exactly, right. and so <laughs> a contrast to that, and this will probably be for some who know more about this, a good contrast is to compare the thoughts that the civil rights movement luminaries had on the more Martin Luther King side to those associated with the Black Panther Party and the Black Power movement. Their way of understanding society was very different. They did not attempt to even pull from Western or Christian tradition. They pulled directly from outside sources and wanted to fundamentally reconstruct society. And in their mind, the issue wasn't that there were uh, hostilities necessarily between whites and blacks. Their issue was more foundational. There is a power dynamic that is there and that power dynamic needs to basically be reversed. And so you heard the phrase black power from the 70s. That's a cry for blacks to have their own power as a black separatist movement in that sense. And kind of the downtrend implications of that, if you want to talk about it that way, is that the way that the uh, original Black Panthers and those who kind of followed them viewed America was very different than how many of the older 
uh, more incrementalist versions of people viewed race in those days. So you put that together, what that means is that we're not just critiquing matters of racial mistreatment. That's not the full goal of what critical race theory is. So there's a nice encyclopedia definition of this. So this comes from a book in the NYU press called Critical Theory. And I'm going to read a portion of it to kind of show you how that difference appears. Mm -hmm. So the critical race theory movement is a collection of activists and scholars engaged in studying and transforming mm -hmm. the relationship among race, racism and power. The movement considers many of the same issues that conventional civil rights and ethnic studies took up, but places them in a broader perspective that includes economics, history, group and self-interest, and unconscious bias and things of that nature. Now, here's the point. Unlike traditional civil rights discourse, which stresses step-by-step -step progress and incrementalism, critical race theory questions the very foundations of the liberal order, including the theory of equality or equality theory in the law, legal reasoning, it questions enlightenment rationalism, and also questions various principles concerning constitutional law. So the point is, note that that is not merely just a critique of racial animus that may exist interpersonally. It's a movement, or you can say it is a philosophy that looks at society from the vantage point of race and the problems that arise when race and power intersect or collide with one another. So what they're trying to do, in effect, is to look at American society not from the not from the vantage point that we have a common interest, so to speak, and a common history that we need to live up to. That's not the goal. The goal is more revolutionary. The goal is to look at American social life at the core as being foundationally constructed by race. So those of you who've probably read uh, reports about this, this is one of the more controversial claims of the 1619 Project. The goal is not to say we have a common history that we can live up to. The whole premise is that the very core of society is racially biased and white supremacist because the idea is that when you take racial prejudice and combine it with the power to institute what you want, the idea is that it is not just Jim Crow era where you had blatant racism. The idea is that the very foundation of the country and by extension, the whole Western project, which also includes colonialism, is by definitionally racially based and founded on power dynamics. So it's a big umbrella topic. So yeah. when people grab things and use different aspects of critical race theory, they probably aren't thinking all of that, but the academy is. When the academy uses critical race theory, they're thinking of the entire um, philosophical viewpoint and historical framework of society. So that's a nutshell idea. Yeah, that's that's very helpful, Gabe. Um, another perhaps more lay-friendly uh, definition is given in a, a helpful uh, article in um, uh, the Gospel Coalition um, called The Incombat Incompatibility of Critical Theory and Christianity by uh, Shenby and Sawyer. And uh, there they write uh, that model, quote, modern critical theory views reality through the lens of power, 
each individual is seen either as oppressed or as an oppressor. So if you're listening to this, a critical race theorist would place you into one of those categories based upon your ethnic ethnicity, based upon your education, based upon a whole number of, of categories um, or potential oppressive conditions, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so then this, this goes on, um, depending, so it says, depending on their race, class, gender, sexuality, and a number of other categories. Oppressed groups are subjugated not by physical force or even by overt discrimination, but through the exercise of hegemonic power, the ability of dominant groups to impose their norms, values, and expectations on society as a whole, relegating other groups to subordinate positions. And so that's really, uh, Gabe, what you just uh, explained in a different way. Um, uh, it's, it's this, it's not overt. So this, we're not talking here when people say, you know, uh, you're a racist or you're a part of a group of people that are racist. They're not in their heads thinking that you are carrying out some kind of racism like pre-Civil War racism, slavery, or Jim Crow law racism, overt, clear mm -hmm. racism where there's a hatred for someone of a different color or ethnic uh, background. This is uh, that which is often subconscious. Uh, it's that which is there because you are the part, uh, a part of a people that is in power, uh, that has um, this kind of um, uh, position in society, not just now, but all the way back for hundreds of years. Yeah, the so-called post-colonial studies now, mm -hmm. post-colonial theory, which sees everything again through the lenses of power structures. And so if you have, if your skin is a certain color, then you are immediately identified with those who are oppressors mm -hmm. and, or, or, or oppressed. Um, so, so that's why a lot of confusion comes in about racism because people are saying, I'm not a racist. Mm -hmm. I'm not a racist. I love my my, uh, you know, black, brown, white uh, mm -hmm. neighbors, and I don't have any animus, any, any uh, animosity rather towards them at all. I love them. They're my friends. And they say, oh, no, 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 no. No, because you are a part of this group, because you are associated with this, you know, this, uh, this group um, uh, of white people throughout the ages, then you are necessarily racist. And yeah. what you need to do now is to recognize that and now begin to be uh, what they call an anti-racist. This may sound very um, esoteric and academic, and a lot of it is. It's mm -hmm. plaguing uh, the academies, but there are also real-world implications for some of this. I just saw this last week that uh, the mayor of... of um, Oakland, California, is going to write checks to minority uh, uh, citizens, families who make less than $59,000 a year. Um, he's going to write them a check for $500 a month, um, but is explicitly excluding the white families in, the poor white families in Oakland, um, <clears throat> because presumably they have more opportunity or are able to make more money, even though they don't. And, and so th this is uh, um, not some taxpayer money, it's a privately funded thing, but the, the mayor of this town and presumably the city council there have these underlying assumptions in the back of their head as they make these decisions. 
Um, and this is a very uh, strange and, 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 and awkward uh, time, I would think, to be um, someone in civil government uh, to make these things. We also have terms that we've heard, uh, whiteness and blackness. Mm -hmm. And a part of the problem with using this kind of terminology, by the way, as well, and uh, we're going to talk about the anti-Christian nature of all of these ideas uh, in our next episode. We're trying to get some definitions here uh, on this episode. But one of the biggest problems with this, and one of the most ungodly things about this, is you're grouping everyone in to large mm -hmm. groups, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, what they what they want, in a sense, is for us to walk into a room and, and, and begin to categorize everybody that's in there and divide people up into certain groups. And then you're going to sort of respond to them in that way. And that's not a way to bring people together. That's actually a way to bring great division. It actually inverts much of what we think about when it talks about Christian unity in the scriptures. And we'll talk about this in more detail, but... One of the foundational problems that occurred in the ancient world was that when Christians came together, they were in the Roman Empire. You had all sorts of different classes of people. You had, and we know this from history, that Rome had a very large, sizable slave population. We had masters and slaves in the same church. We had different ethnic groups that have had long-standing conflicts in the church. But if you notice what Paul's exhortation is, it is always to strive for Christian unity. Mm -hmm. Not unity at all costs in the sense of ignoring doctrine, but the essence is there are many reasons in this world that different groups of people can be hostile to one another that goes back to family backgrounds, racial, ethnic backgrounds, etc. But the Christian call is for brothers to see each other as brothers. Now, part of what happens when a Christian takes on various aspects of critical race theory is that they automatically assume that the person they're talking to has, they already have the Christian categories in mind. They already have the category of sin, reconciliation, all those things there. And you're basically saying you're using critical race theory as an additional tool to help address various concerns. That's what you think is happening. But on my side as a professor, you have a very unchristian society, particularly in college. When an unchristian person hears the sorts of ways that critical race theory describes society, it is by definition separatist. It is balkanization in the old fashioned sense. It is a way in which groups of people will remain in perpetual hostility. If you bring that into the church and you've already eroded any sort of Christian foundation for sin, reconciliation, and things of that nature, what you will produce is a type of balkanization within the church. And that's the greatest concern that we all have when it comes to seeing the, not just the world, but seeing church relationships in terms of power dynamics only can lead to a sort of low-key hostility and suspicion among your brothers in the church. This is one of the biggest problems, I think, with the accommodation and adopting of the language and categories of the academy. Mm -hmm. Now, back in the 80s and 90s and, and early 2000s, this stuff was mainly in the academy, but now mm -hmm. it has come to a popularization. It's now mm -hmm. on the lips of politicians. You know, just recently, uh, two U.S. senators um, publicly declared that they would not vote to confirm 
any cabinet members that were from a majority culture. Mm. I mean, so that is explicit racism, right? Yeah. But it's coming through the lenses of this critical theory, which says that you, you don't vote for people based on merit anymore. Mm. You vote for them based on the color of their skin or their ethnic background. So you could have someone that, that, that uh, knows nothing about a particular subject, no matter what color they are, and they can actually be placed in a position, which we're seeing a lot of times in government today, that they know nothing about or have very little proficiency in. But because they're, um, you know, a, a, a man who dresses like a woman, mm -hmm. uh, now suddenly they become this uh, higher priority to put in positions of power mm -hmm. uh, because they have historically not had power. This is a very n ungodly, uh, unbiblical way to approach life, to approach mm -hmm. leadership, to to um, approach society. And and so a lot of these terms we have like Black Lives Matter, you know, that's like the most brilliant, you know, title for an organization, right? I mean, because mm -hmm. who's gonna argue with that? <laughs> well of course. Mm -hmm. And then and then you're you know, you're 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 on board, right? Well Black Lives Matter, yes. And so then we have, you know, pastors marching in the streets with Black Lives Matter organizations that are that are quintessentially Marxist <laughs> in their in their very statements of their organization they're marxist they are for the uh the homosexual movement and they're for all of these things that christians are against because the scriptures teach against it and so uh and then racial reconciliation that you, you hear that you're like well of course we want racial reconciliation but it's assuming it's assuming that that everybody's mad at each other and that we're all racist. That that black mm -hmm. people hate white people and white people hate black people, and 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 you, we need to do something about about this. So we need to make really the focus of the church on reconciling black mm -hmm. people and white. By the way, I don't understand why South Asian Indians and Mexicans and and uh, and Koreans aren't a part of this this topic <laughs> as well. This is obviously an American kind yes. of thing, right? Um, but I, I know we, we need to wrap this particular episode up, but any thoughts on that, Gabe? Well, there's several things. And one, the first thing I'll say is that I know there are a lot of people who probably subscribe to critical race theory that would balk at the idea that there is a Marxist element to critical race theory. And so this is one of those yes and no statements. And so often when critical theory is discussed, part of what is often brought up is the fact that a part of critical theory has a Marxist thinking and undertone to it because it is an essentially a class analysis based upon power and things of that nature. And people think of that in the so-called culture Marxist way. But the other side is actually, I think, more interesting for us because most of what critical theory has become is an expression of postmodern thought. And the postmodern thought is, in a sense, clashing with the Marxist idea. Because in a postmodern thought, we're not really speaking about truth. We're not really speaking about, in a sense, what we as Christians would call reality. That which corresponds to what's out there. We're basically talking about power statements in some way or fashion. And so to make a truth claim from the postmodern mind is to make a power statement. And so to make a statement that says that you know, the way that we should come together is not based on critical theory. It's interpreted as a power statement of one group against another. And so one of the issues that makes it difficult to discuss is because we no longer have the same vocabulary. 
reconciliation has changed its meaning substantially. Yes. We no longer have a category to even, we no longer have a truth that we're coming to because we don't agree about reality anymore. And finally, we no longer have, if you don't have the same truth, the same reality, it also means that your end goal, the gospel, cannot be the same. You know, this is um, it's anecdotal, mm-hmm. but I, I hear so many things about um, churches in our own denomination that have allowed critical theory. Uh, I would say aspects of critical theory. I don't think any PCA church is sort of putting critical theory in their mission statement or anything, even though I think that sometimes it can be, you know, Im- impacted in some ways by that. But um, recently I heard of a church member that's in a, in a, in a church where uh, things have gotten so focused on uh, racial reconciliation, on social justice, aspects of critical theory, uh, uh, that they said that they have not heard a clear proclamation of the gospel in over a year in their church. Mm-hmm. Also, there's another church where there was a corporate prayer of repentance where the congregation confessed their sin of whiteness. Mm-hmm. So, if someone's going to say, well, there's no critical theory um, in the church, um, I would say that they ought to read um, the prayer from two years ago at the PCA General Assembly, mm-hmm. where the ministers gathered together the day before the assembly started. And one of the prayers by one of our denominational leaders leading this corporate prayer prayed this, We grieve that black and brown people have found our churches to be overwhelming and unsympathetic places, more loyal to whiteness than to the red blood of Jesus shed on the cross. We grieve that our loyalties to politicians who play on racial fears have been stronger than our loyalties to our black and brown brothers and sisters in Christ. We grieve that we have wittingly and unwittingly erected once again the very wall of hostility that Christ's cross has torn down. We grieve that those who have spoken the gospel truth on our racial unity and diversity have been shouted down as cultural Marxists or social justice warriors rather than celebrated as servants of the gospel. Okay. (laughs) So, for those to say that these ideas, these concepts that have come into the church from the culture and from the pagan academy to say that they somehow have not really impacted us and we're thinking biblically i think um really have have accommodated it so much that they don't even see that anymore they can't even see that they've accommodated it and and what i'd love for us to do in our next episode brothers is to talk about how the Christian response to all of this. Because we don't want to sit back and say, well, there's no reason to ever talk about race in the church. Uh, there, you know, There's no reason to ever talk about some of the injustices going on in the culture. Uh, of course there are. And, and, the, and the scriptures speak to many of those. And we should be proclaiming and teaching those. Uh, at the same time, we do not want to adopt the narrative of the culture. We don't want to assume all the things they're telling us are true and then trying to meld that with scripture on the Lord's day in the pulpit. We want to faithfully proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ and be faithful to the scriptures and truly believe that the Bible is sufficient for these things. Mm-hmm. 
Well, thank you so much for listening, and we will look forward to being with you next time on Between the Times.